You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. So back in October of last year, I got on a plane to Taiwan. This is Dylan Scott, a healthcare reporter at Vox. I traveled from the capital, Taipei, to the east coast of the island. You know, we flew over lots and lots of tall, green mountains to get there. And I visited a little health clinic that serves the people who live in those mountains with my producer, Bird Pinkerton. So we have this lovely room with, with, I guess it's a little aquarium. Okay, and why were you there? We wanted to see this amazing electronic system that Taiwan has put in place. It's an electronic health record that's based in the cloud. Every citizen gets this little medical ID card that has a chip in it. And they can bring that card to a big hospital in the city or to a tiny rural clinic like this one. And their doctor can insert it into a machine and they can pull up their entire healthcare history super, super easily. There's everything there. The drugs they're allergic to, the vaccines they've already had, their last six healthcare visits. And this saves time. It saves filling out paperwork and it's helped Taiwan revolutionize their healthcare. I'm Ariel Dumras, and this is Reset. Today on the show, Dylan Scott tells me about Taiwan's electronic medical records. We'll see how their high-tech system streamlines care for patients and doctors. And we'll ask, why doesn't the U.S. have a system like this? So, Dylan, take me back to this rural clinic you visited. Yeah, At this clinic, we got to see how these cards make a doctor's interaction with their patients go much more seamlessly. So first, Bert and I met a doctor there. So our doctor who has like a shock of pink hair Mm. and sort of like an all-black outfit with black high heels. Uh, Aboriginal woman came in and pretty much the first thing she did was handed her medical ID card to her doctor. So they've inserted the national health insurance card and pulled up this woman's medical records. She's checking her uh, medical records on the MediCloud system. So she can know that uh, where she had uh, prescribed medicine previously. And the doctor, one of the first things that she asked was whether the woman had been taking her diabetes medication like she was supposed to. And the woman said she had not. She's kind of teasing her, it looks like. (laughs) And the doctor lightly chastised her and then told her to make sure that she took the diabetes medication as soon as she got home. But that kind of very basic care management, like one of the things that's very easy to do to try to keep healthcare costs down is just making sure patients take their medication like they're supposed to. That kind of management is a lot easier when a doctor can get this holistic picture of a person's medical history and their medical needs by just inserting a card into a reader. Does having this kind of a healthcare system, one where you have these medical ID cards, does that lead to better outcomes for patients than you might see in the U.S.? So that's a complicated question. (laughs) It always is. 
What I would say is the Congressional Budget Office, and this is a tangent you probably didn't expect, but the, <laughs> the Congressional Budget Office put together a report last year looking at a bunch of international healthcare systems and sort of all the various avenues to mm-hmm. single payer. And one thing they repeatedly singled out about Taiwan was its IT infrastructure and its resulting administrative simplicity. So even if it's wow. hard to say... Administrative it, simplicity. We're talking <laughs> yeah. about healthcare here. Right, which is not not something we we do not associate simplicity with healthcare in the United no, States. No, we definitely do not. But there are, like, researchers have, have estimated that Taiwan only spends about 1% of its funding for national health insurance on administrative work. The rest of it goes to, you know, like medical claims and actual health care. And so I think oh, that nice. that is a testament to the simplicity that this medical record system allows. Okay, so clearly this has a bunch of advantages for patients, but I am wondering, we're talking about data here, we're talking about sort of the the consolidation of all these medical records, is the government using this data as well? Yes. So um, doctors and hospitals have to upload the, their insurance claims every 24 hours under this system. And so the government is basically— uh, Did you say every 24 every hours? Every 24 hours, more or less, you know. And so the government is basically getting a real-time snapshot of how much it's spending on healthcare, And not only that, but, like, it's getting a picture of particular people who are using a lot of health care. And in an ideal world, you know, that would allow you to stage interventions or better coordinate across different health care providers. Because obviously, especially for heavy utilizers who have complex chronic conditions, you know, they don't just go to one doctor. They have a primary care doctor and a specialist, and they might end up at a hospital. And so— Because they're they're getting this constant update of medical use in Taiwan, they're able to get a much clearer picture of where their healthcare needs are and things that they can target to try to improve things even further. You know, as a person who used to do quite a bit of reporting on healthcare, it strikes me that you could use a system like this to detect adverse health outcomes from from certain drugs or even do early detection for outbreaks of disease like coronavirus. Is that the case? Yes. So Taiwan has built a a quite sophisticated infectious disease surveillance network, and the electronic medical records through the National Health Insurance Program are a big part of that. So they were on top of identifying one of the first Zika cases to be imported into their country. According to Taiwan Center for Disease Control, the woman showed no symptoms when she passed through customs. You know, because the big thing about Zika was it caused microcephaly. Now, microcephaly is a very serious condition, which means that babies uh, have smaller heads and smaller brains and don't develop as they should do. And so they realized, like, wait a minute, we don't have, like, we don't know what the baseline is for sort of what's normal, what kind of naturally occurs. And so they were able to go back into the um, electronic medical record system and see like, all right, so for the few years before now, how often have those kind of cases popped up? And that gave them a a way to track like, all right, now that we know Zika is in the country, we'll be able to keep an eye on whether more cases of microcephaly are popping up and whether we need to therefore stage interventions to try to get ahead of it. The thing that comes to mind for me is I know that those studies were also conducted in the U.S. They were also conducted in parts of South America as well. But it took a lot of time, right? Gathering that information takes time. But what you're saying is basically like they already had all of this. They could just kind of like perform a search 
and 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 have those numbers pop up. Right. I'm not the tech person. That's your job. <laughs> but yeah, it seems to be an as simple as like, all right, we need to go back and you know run this diagnostic code, and then we'll have a snapshot of like, yeah, our historical incidents of microcephaly, and then we'll be able to use that information going forward while we're now trying to deal with Zika. After the break, why doesn't the U.S. have medical cards like this? And more on the downsides of having everyone's health data stored in the same place. Okay, so this all sounds great. These medical ID cards sound super convenient and honestly way better than what we have in the U.S. So why don't we have this here? Well, as far as I can tell, there are two big reasons. Okay, break them down for me. The first reason is that our electronic medical record system is kind of broken. So a decade ago, the Obama administration was looking at a world where not very many doctors or hospitals at all used electronic medical records. We start 2009 in the midst of a crisis unlike any we have seen in our lifetime. And so in the stimulus package that passed in 2009, an American recovery and reinvestment plan, which included all kinds of provisions um, to both prop up the economy, that will immediately jumpstart job creation, but also to kind of encourage American tech to, to catch up or, or accelerate. Healthcare and a new infrastructure that are necessary to keep us strong and competitive in the 21st century. Um, they included this pot of money, almost $30 billion, that encouraged healthcare providers to set up electronic medical record systems. To improve the quality of our healthcare while lowering its costs, we will make the immediate investments necessary to ensure that within five years, all of America's medical records are computerized. And by and large, it was a success. We have seen a dramatic increase in the number of doctors and hospitals that have electronic medical records now uh, compared to 10 years ago. And so that has been a lot of progress. But what the administration wasn't prepared for was how to get electronic medical records from different healthcare providers to talk to each other. And so while over the last 10 years we've seen a lot more healthcare providers adopt these kinds of systems, they haven't gotten very good at allowing their different systems to talk to each other. So it's kind of like your hospital is using Android messaging apps and your clinic is using the iPhone's iMessage app, right? It's, it's great that they're both using these kinds of apps and everything is digitized, but it's also bad because the clinic apps and the hospital apps can't talk to each other. Yes, or the, the analog version of this uh, metaphor is it's a bunch of walled gardens where you can't, like, see through to the other side. And so that's kind of where we're stuck now. There's some data that uh, I saw recently that showed only, like, a third of hospitals in the United States are able to share electronic medical records with another healthcare provider or another healthcare One system. One third? That's yeah, it? Yeah, it was under 40%. Okay, so I want to imagine this better. Say I go to a hospital and I get a CT scan because my doctor thinks I need one. All right. Uh, why don't we just pop you into the scanner here? 
And then I go to my regular doctor to get my results explained to me. Hi, Ariel. Let's pull up that scan you did. What happens to the actual information that's gathered in that scan? How does it get to my doctor? Right. So your hospital, where you got your CT scan, they're using one system to store all of their records, and they'll put the CT scan results in there. But then if you go to your doctor, her clinic might be on a totally different system. And those two systems aren't able to talk to each other. Right. And so you've got nurses or healthcare staff. Hey, can you call the hospital and ask them to send us those records for Ariel? They have to print stuff out or they even like, you might have to have your hospital fax information over to your primary care doctor so that she's able to have your CT scans. Right. Like the final stand of the fax machine is in the American healthcare system. It's the one Mm -hmm. place where it still has a lot of utility because we've done such a bad job of, you know, making electronic medical records interoperable. Sorry, Ariel. Can you come back next week? The nurses at the hospital still need time to fax your results. So, you know, you could imagine another world where the hospital is on the same system as your primary care doctor. And so they, you know, upload your CT scan into the cloud, let's say. And then your primary care doctor, they've got access to the same cloud. They can download the results and they've got them in their fingertips. We don't have to get fax machines involved at all. All right, I have what I need. Let's talk about your results. But that's not the world we're living in right now. Why didn't we think that maybe we would want all these systems to talk to each other? It's a great question. I think it's partly just a reflection of the very fractured healthcare system that we already have. And I think that, to be honest, it kind of seems like, you know, the Obama administration saw as far as it would be good to invest a lot of money into trying to get healthcare providers to set up these systems. They did not kind of get to the second step of like, how do we get these systems to work together? So most of these electronic medical records are run, you know, by private companies or it's private providers setting up their own record systems. And so providers don't necessarily have a lot of incentive to work together because if suddenly you have your electronic medical record and you can take it to any healthcare provider, then it suddenly becomes a lot easier to go to a different hospital or go to a Ah. different doctor. And so these walls protect the providers because it keeps patients in their system because they have their records, they have their medical history. And if you want to go outside of that system, it's not very easy because these electronic medical records aren't able to talk to each other. There are just a lot of hurdles getting in the way of that free flow of information that I think we all agree would be ideal for better healthcare. again, like we see in Taiwan. Okay, so essentially reason one that we don't have a seamless, easy experience like the one in Taiwan is that unless one electronic medical record takes over everything in the U.S., we're going to keep having all these different systems that don't talk to each other. You got it. So what's reason two that we don't have a system like the one in Taiwan? So the second reason, I think, is privacy. People have a lot in America have a lot of hangups about just handing over their personal information to the government, especially something as sort of intimate as personal as their their medical history. Your health information, your rights. Whether your health information is stored on paper or electronically, you have the right to keep it private. We obviously have a a complex set of rules. There's a whole law, HIPAA. The Health Insurance Portability and Accountability Act. That governs privacy for patients' medical information. HIPAA requires that certain healthcare providers keep your electronic health records private and secure. 
So that just presents us kind of significant practical barriers to enacting a kind of, you know, national electronic medical record system. And I do think a piece of that is just cultural norms. Like, people in Taiwan are certainly, they're worried about their privacy too. The country has a whole set of laws about personal data privacy. But, you know, the government undertook like an education campaign to explain to people why they were creating electronic medical records, what kind of privacy safety guards were in place because they wanted people to understand the utility of this system and to trust the system. And you can imagine in America, just given our sort of individual streak, you know, recent history with the NSA, FISA, whatever, it's a, you know, that you could see where that would be a pretty significant ask of the American people to suddenly trust the government to oversee this system that would have all of their personal medical information. This actually reminds me of an episode of Reset we did a few months ago about Google getting into health and gaining access to people's medical records for a specific set of hospitals. I talked to Christina Farr at CNBC for that episode. They were looking to build some kind of tool that could search through a medical record really easily. Google's goals sounded a lot like the goals of the Taiwanese system. I also heard that they were looking at, could they do some kind of early detection of disease? But people were justifiably freaked out. I think the big fear here is that Google will start to learn more and more about our health conditions. And one piece where I would call them out is just the consent. People got tripped up because patients hadn't been told, the doctors hadn't been told. It felt like a violation of somebody's privacy, even if by the letter of the law, it wasn't necessarily. And so I think that is a great sort of snapshot of why Americans might be so apprehensive about one big electronic medical record system. To be clear, though, presumably Americans would be aware of this system if suddenly the the government decided to get in on this, right? That would be a key difference. And yeah, when you think about <laughs> when you think about Taiwan, like their medical records are basically like a public good, like it's part of this public mm. program. It's helping to serve this sort of public function. And I think an important distinction from what Google was doing is that is a private company that's basically trying to get an advantage over its competitors like Apple and Microsoft, who are also trying to make progress in the health space. And the fact that the patients weren't aware of the program at all definitely set up a lot of red flags. Okay. So I I have one sort of final question for you. Is anybody trying to make this better? So, yes. The Trump administration has actually taken a big interest in trying to make electronic medical records more cooperative and more easily shareable across different systems. Um, they actually put out a rule in 2019 that would force healthcare providers and health insurers to provide medical records to patients at basically no cost and in a standardized format. We're going to pursue making sure that patients have their data no matter where they go. Seema Verma runs the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services. She talked about this on CNBC in 2018. What we're trying to do is empower the patient with their health care records, with quality information. And so they, they definitely see that kind of transparency as their guiding light with their health care agenda. And I think it shows that this is a, an issue that isn't necessarily very partisan. Like, everybody sees the advantages of setting up a system where it's easier to share medical records across the whole healthcare system. The question is whether, you know, providers and payers can get on board and actually execute it and overcome some of the practical implementation challenges that we've been talking about. (laughs) 
Dylan Scott is a healthcare reporter at Vox.com. By the way, he just wrote a whole series of stories about healthcare all around the world, and we'll link to those in our show notes. We will also link to the fantastic episode on Taiwanese healthcare that Dylan did for the Impact podcast. All the reporting he did for that series was done with a grant from the Commonwealth Fund. This is Reset, and I'm Ariel Zuemros, but you don't have to say it that way. You can find me on Twitter, I'm at ADRS, and you can also reach the Reset team by emailing reset at vox.com. We publish episodes three times a week on Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Sundays. So if you haven't already, subscribe to the pod. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or in your favorite podcast app. And if you like what you hear, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It really helps us. Bird Pinkerton, Will Reed, and Skylar Swenson produced the show. Our engineer is Eric Gomez. Our intern is Daniel Marcus. Golda Arthur is our executive producer. Liz Kelly Nelson is the editorial director of Vox Podcasts. The mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder composed our theme music. And Reset is produced in association with Stitcher, and we're part of the Vox Media Podcast Network. We'll be back on Tuesday. Later, nerds. First thing in the morning, as soon as you wake up, the to-do list starts. Does the car need gas? Hopefully those leftovers are still good. Why did I get CC'd on home mom? <laughs> no. You can't escape the to-do list, but you can make the most of your me time with a relaxing shower using Method Hair Care products. Try Pure Peace Volumizing, Simply Nourish Moisturizing, or Daily Zen Shampoo and Conditioner for daily use. All formulated with long-lasting fragrances and are safe for color-treated hair. Reconnect with the best version of yourself. Visit methodproducts.com to unleash your inner shower.